Unreal. Uncensored. Unradio. Cliffcentral.com. This is Heavy Petting on CliffCentral.com. I'm Leanne Mole. Thanks for joining me every Wednesday from 10 a.m. till 11. And uh, today, unfortunately, we've got some really tough stories to hear. I promise there'll be some fun uh, towards the halfway through, about halfway through this, um, this show. Um, but we do need to get some through some horrible stories that have happened this week in the news. Um, we've got the latest on Tandi Mordise's cannibal pig farm. Uh, there is a Texas cheerleader who posted pictures of the exotic animals that she'd killed on Facebook. And in fact, next week we'll be speaking to Emma Sadler, who's a social media law expert on how social media affects this sort of thing. Uh, but today we're joined by The Guardian's David Smith. He was with us earlier on um, the Gareth Cliff show. Um, speaking about the Oscar Pistorius trial, which he's been heavily involved in. Um, and I believe he's been freed of those shackles for a little while um, and is going on to other stories, including rhino poaching and that sort of thing, David. I went to uh, one of the oldest parks in KwaZulu-Natal and uh, famous for high concentration of, of white rhinos and um, the involvement of Ian Player. And, uh, you know, it's um, an issue that is, is really international. This is a, really a, a sort of South African natural treasure. That, so there's so many rhinos here, but the, the entire world is concerned that the species that's what, you know, about 40 million years old could be in, in jeopardy um, because of um, poaching. It's a, it's a big issue for our readers and, and where I was. Not only is there poachers, but now there's... Um, plans for uh, a new coal mine and a lot of concern that that um, could make the problem even worse. So this is a this is a typical um, journalist's job and that's knowing a little bit about everything. I mean from from court stories and murder stories to to rhino poaching and conservation. It's it's really far reaching and uh, we are expected to know a little bit of everything. And um, sometimes we are expected to know a lot about one thing and we don't, but we try our best. <laughs> a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, as they say. And yes, um, the journalist's job is so often about uh, breadth rather than depth mm. and uh, parachuting into a situation and trying to find out very quickly about it. And, and that can be problematic and people can say it's um, parachute journalism sometimes. But I, I feel on the other hand... Often our readers are new to a subject, don't know much about it. So we might know a little more. And also we can try and explain it to them uh, rather than providing thousands and thousands of words of incredible sort of detail that only the experts would really get or, or want. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes you have to explain these are the most important facts. This is why you should care. This is the sort of immediate context. Yeah. Um Sometimes it's, it's, you know, I, I used to report on technology and the last thing you want is just too much jargon and too much detail. You you want to know sort of how is this going to change my life? Yeah, well, speaking of just giving the facts, um, let's get right into animals in the news this week. And these are the facts. Uh, you may form an opinion on either side of this um, and there will, will still be an investigation. So as we've learned with the Oscar Pistorius trial, we never know until um, it starts getting into the nitty-gritty. It's the huge story this week in South Africa of the horrific state of a farm owned by our very own National Council of Provinces chairperson, Tandi Modise. So last Saturday, after receiving a tip-off from a vet, um, police and SPCA officials went to this plot. It's in the northwest province. 
where they discovered a farm of horrors. Uh, the smell they were smelling came from a sty in which the bodies of about 53 pigs were laying rotting. Uh, there were more bodies, 19 sheep and goats, a goose and even seven chickens scattered across the farm. The farm's name is Dunmill. It's in the, the northwest, as mentioned, and it's owned by Modisa, a government-funded farm. Um, it was found that the animals had died from starvation and thirst. This is where it gets really grisly. Um, the pigs, in an effort to survive, ate the dead and fetuses. None of the pigs could be saved. The surviving 85 were reportedly drinking their own urine and being euthanized after that. Uh, the Bilt reported on Tuesday nearly 120 of the animals have been put down since Saturday. Well, it seems that the animals have been without food and water for two weeks. Uh, there were no farm workers on the property, no electricity. Uh, the uh, water pumps had broken. Uh, and as a result, Tandi Mordise is facing charges of animal cruelty. These include starvation, not providing veterinary treatment, not providing shelter and neglect. Well, here's the senior inspector for the National SPCA's Farm Animals Unit, Andri Sventa, who says it's the worst neglect he's ever seen. We'll find that clip for you now. Formal issue that the cruelty that I've come across in the 20 years that I've been with the SPCA, um, it's it's terrific. It's it's we we all at, at a loss of words. From carcasses that we've seen um, and confirmation from the vet, it could be seven days, but um, the information we have is that the farm has been abandoned like this for two weeks. However, we found carcasses drawn around the property, which indicates that it's been going on for, on for much longer than just two weeks. So, David, a really horrific story to, to hear, um, and we obviously haven't heard both sides yet. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult to report on this sort of thing, and there seems to be a fine line with regards to how much to report, because you, you really want people to know, you want them to be aware. Yes, um, as with so many stories, you know, do you publish that really shocking picture? It'll offend some people, uh, I'm just going back to the Pistorius trial. You know, there may be children seeing it. Um, on the other hand, um, it's it's very important that, that people know because, you know, she is clearly um, a public figure, mm-hmm. a leading politician. Um, on the surface, at least, this appears to have been, you know, a, a, a terrible offence or uh, at least a sort of act of negligence and, 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 and the world should know that and, and the full extent. So yeah. it's, it's one of those fine lines for um, editors to walk. Um, I notice she is, uh, Tandy Modise is strongly disputing that she made this comment, uh, you know, the suffering of the animals are nothing compared to my financial suffering, yes, which I think right. really rubbed salt in the wound, but now she's um, lodged a complaint uh, saying that she was misquoted on that. Yes. Um, but even so, um, yeah, the, the the bare facts are very hard to ignore and uh, you know very appalling. Yeah, well, yeah, as mentioned, um, she is taking the sweat into the press ombudsman, and that's the latest news on that this morning. Um, my questions are: Why had she taken on the responsibility of a farm when she clearly had major responsibilities in her own role in Cape Town at the National Council of Provinces? Um, why hadn't she contacted the farm manager in two weeks? She said that she was very close to the pigs and visited the farm um, every fortnight at least. Um, I find it strange that there wasn't a phone call. Um, I think it's also, it shows that farming is just not that easy. We've got a lot of farm issues in South Africa and debates over who farms should be appropriated to. 
Um, and I think there's this misconception that farming will bring you money, and uh, that that's that's just it. But um, it takes a lot of work, 24 hours, dedication. You can't be doing anything else. It's it's uh, it's really extremely challenging. Yeah, like uh, like running a restaurant. People think uh, it's glamorous, might be a money spinner from what is an incredibly hard work. You know, um, a, a farm uh, is like that. Um, uh, and yes, I was interested to see that uh, it's been politicised to the extent of uh, exchanges between the ANC and the, the Democratic Alliance, mm-hmm. uh, with the, the DA saying, you know, uh, you're using this to argue we we, we don't favour land reform, and actually we do, mm-hmm. and so on and so on. I mean, um, I'm not sure how relevant it is to this, but I'm, I'm reminded of um, um, an, an ongoing political debate where um, I have heard uh, everyone from Robert Mugabe, the president of Zimbabwe, to Maletzi Mbeki in South Africa say that it's it's hard to um, compare Zimbabwe and South Africa in terms of land reform because South Africa's population is so urbanized. And uh, I, would, I would apply, I think, to both black and white people in many cases that um, there are a lot of people who don't want to farm, don't have the skills to farm. Mm. If they did, things might go wrong. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's obviously sort of tricky territory, but um. But 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 yes, it's 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 hard work. It's not for everyone. It really isn't. Um. Well, what I can say is that this story unfolded in the same week of real progress made by the South African government in the effort to control livestock diseases, which is another thing that farm owners um, have to spend a huge amount of money and time on and research. So, 96 animal production practitioners in the Eastern Cape have registered for this new. Animal Health Diploma. It's offered on the state-run Tolo Agriculture and Rural Development Institute. So among the things they'll be learning is how to curb livestock parasites, control state-controlled diseases, provide vets advice to communities as well. This is critical and important news. We're moving on to the second story that was horribly um, uh, difficult to accept and hard to swallow this week, and uh, that is of a Texas cheerleader, Her name is uh, Kendall Jones, and she emerged on Facebook, um, and it went completely viral after that. Photographs of her next to exotic animals that she'd shot um, as a hunter. And it really was quite disturbing, these images, pictures of her amongst, you know, many animals, especially the one that's heart-wrenching right now is um, her next to a dead rhino. Um, it's, it's It's quite a weird situation because she's... Very proud and smiling and looking very pretty next to all of these animals. Um, and I think her aim um, was to make money for these communities. This is what she says, to make money for the communities, um, you know, because you've got to pay so much for this, this canned hunting. Um, let's uh, take a listen to this. Hi guys, I'm Katie Wayne and this is Animalist News. A 19-year-old Texas cheerleader is under attack after posting photos of her hunting on Facebook. But these aren't your everyday animals she's hunting. Animal activists have become outraged by photos of dead lions, hippos, and even elephants that she's apparently killed. Ah yes, Kendall Jones is the Melissa Bachman of 2014. On her Facebook page, Kendall even admits to killing an endangered white rhino. But she still says she's a conservationist. Does she know the definition of that word? Conservationist, a person who acts for the protection and preservation of wildlife. 
Her family says that all of this ruckus is unnecessary. She had perfectly legal hunting permits that her family spent over $150,000 on. Their argument is that they're actually helping poor African communities by hunting and giving them money. Oh, sorry. That was the last one that was there. Here's some money. I understand that she is giving large sums of money to African communities that so desperately need it, and that is great and wonderful. However, comma, how about you just give them the money if that's what you want to do and you want to be a conservationist, which is a great, wonderful thing to aspire to be. Maybe don't kill the endangered animals and then call yourself a conservationist. Maybe don't do that. That's one 19-year-old's opinion on... The other 19-year-old who's the cheerleader who's um, at question here, and that's Kendall Jones. So making money for communities, um, is that an excuse? Well, that clip mentioned uh, Melissa Backman, who's a TV presenter who did a similar thing last year, uh, posting photos of a hunt she did in Africa. And again, there was a sort of huge uh, backlash. And, and, and again, the argument was um, hunting brings in wealthy tourists. It plows money into the economy. Some of that goes towards um, conservation. Um, I think in this instance, um, we should choose our targets rather than uh, everybody ganging up in an online mob on a teenager who maybe doesn't know that much about the issues. Let's listen to what she says about this was legally licensed. And if so, surely we should actually be asking deeper questions about who's granting those licenses. Why is this legal if she's correct in saying it is legal? Uh, it does that fundamental system, does that argument hold that a little bit of hunting is a price worth paying for wider converse, conservation? I mean, I, a friend of mine was in a parallel situation talking to me about, you know, a zoo is a problematic place. You know, animals are caged, but is that a price worth paying for the educational benefits for the fact that it possibly inspires a generation of, of future conservationists? So, I think maybe let's take some of the emotion and anger out of it. Let's take some of the, the bullying teenagers who possibly don't know better out of it and, and look at the fundamental issues of, uh, you know, sh- should uh, should hunting be legal? Who's who's permitting it? You know, what what are the arguments on both sides? Yeah. Well, let's take a listen to this. This is from a reporter from CCTV. His name is Kofa Mrenje um, from Kenya. And he's reporting on Somali group Al-Shabaab, which could alone be making almost $60 million a year from environmental crime. The second day of this conference, and delegates are left in little doubt about what's at stake for Africa. That there is a direct link between the plundering of its wildlife and conflict that costs countless human lives. These are not small amounts of money and in fact sustain conflict enable people to buy arms and ultimately to put civil strife and conflict not simply as a localized phenomenon but as part of a transnational network that operates across the globe. The links between illegal trade in Africa's resources have been well flagged over the years but what may surprise many is the sophistication and sheer scale of this criminal operation. According to a new UN report compiled with Interpol Al-Shabaab makes up to $56 million a year from illegal trade in charcoal. The ivory trade hands up to $12 million a year to other armed groups. And illegal logging is worth up to $100 billion every year. This is serious crime. You treat it as serious crime. 
that means you start deploying the same sort of techniques you, do, you use to combat other serious crimes. Human trafficking, arms trafficking, drug trafficking. The UN and Interpol says it's time to step up the fight against environmental crime. Not just seize contraband at entry and exit points, but also track down the final destination and punish the buyers. Kofamrenje, CCTV, Nairobi, Kenya. So yeah, continuous debate, both sides. Um, it's, it's the same as the rhino poaching issues that we face at the moment. Um, I mean, there are a lot of arguments that um, it's not about shooting poachers and hunting poachers. It's about um, helping the communities around them um, to, to make money and to have a sustainable life um, because that's why they're hunting. Is, they can't turn down an offer of 100,000 rand to shoot a rhino. Yes, and I remember going to Mozambique and witnessing something similar with the uh, poaching of shark and, and other sea creatures where, you know, the, uh, I went to see local communities and they had a big basket full of the fins and, uh, you know, it's a, a pragmatic financial decision. Um, and, and you know, what, what that clip is talking about is, uh, you know, very sophisticated uh, criminal networks uh, directly linked uh, to, to terrorism. And I think that's a, a wake-up call for, for governments and others to say, you know, this is not a trivial matter. This is not um, something you can brush aside or, you know, if, 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 if they're not very sort of sympathetic to animals, then, then forget about it. Actually, this is, uh, can be directly traced to an attack uh, literally last night on the presidential palace in Mogadishu in Somalia. It can be traced to activities in in many other countries the attack on the westgate mall in in nairobi um um you know we're we're familiar with with drugs as a major economic fuel of uh of of crime and and terror um time to wake up to to animals uh logging other natural resources in africa Mm. now david as you move on to new territory um well it may have been covered before um but looking at the uh, beats that you'll be covering as a journalist coming up. Uh, do you ever get, find that you may need to get yourself into a dangerous situation where you have to um, find out and dig deeper about these sort of syndicates? Yeah, I mean, in um, <clears throat> in Somalia, I travel around with, um, you know, sort of six guys with big uh, bullet belts over I'm there. I'm glad you finished that sentence when you and, did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> rifles and... Um, uh, yeah, and, and I think it's, it is one of those cases. The the, the digger, the the deeper you dig, the the more dangerous it's um, going to become. Yeah. Um, from what one, uh, there was a very interesting article in one of the South African newspapers, I think the Star, a year or two ago, about how uh, in Mozambique an entire town has grown on the basis of the rhino trade. Uh, and the the gang leaders, the godfathers, are building themselves, you know, big luxurious houses, and you know, getting fast cars, and it's 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 almost identical to the drug trade. Um, That's right. The way it works socially. And I think as a journalist to investigate that, you'd have to be careful, you know, um, because yeah. like the drug trade, somebody could pick you off, and it's in a quite a remote area, um, hard to go knocking on doors um, without getting noticed, and mm. uh, you know, potentially getting in. In trouble. Similarly, you know, uh, I remember in Mozambique over the board from Zimbabwe with the diamond trade. Again, that's uh, mm. a, a, a similar thing. So yeah, these are these are murky and and, and dangerous areas. Um, you know, sort of think uh, think the Sopranos. Yeah, that's it. Well, 
really, we wish you a lot of luck as you go on, um, and we hope that you bring us some really good stories um, and hopefully good news, um, uh, in, you know, regarding this fight against rhino abuse. Uh, that's David Smith from The Guardian. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I think we'll take a break. We'll take a little song. Heavy petting on Cliff Central. Uh, remember, you can tweet me, Leanne Mole at, well, not at, sorry, at Leanne Mole, the other way around. Um, you can also call us if you'd like during the show, 0861 555 uh, You can also tweet at cliffcentral.com um, or even check out the Cliff Central Facebook page. 
after quite a few heavy stories, this one starts off sad, but it ends up really, really happy. I promise. This is the story of Raju the elephant who cried after being rescued following 50 years of abuse and being held down by chains. Uh, he was kept for 50 years in spiked chains and forced to live off scraps from passing tourists. This is in India um, and it uh, turned out like this. Abused elephant Raju finally free after 50 years of torture and captivity. This is Raju who is most likely taken from his mother as a baby elephant and has endured abuse and captivity for 50 years from at least 27 different handlers. When the North London charity Wildlife SOS finally tracked him down, Raju was being held by a handler who kept him in chains and spikes, forcing him to beg for coins for the amusement of tourists. The charity also said the handler pulled hairs from Raju's tail to sell as charms. Raju was in such bad shape and so underfed that he would resort to eating paper and plastic to fill his stomach. When the wildlife charity finally gained court approval to rescue Raju, they went at night to avoid too many people and to protect the bull elephant from the hot sun. Raju's handler tried to stop the rescue by provoking him into becoming violent enough to scare his rescuers away, but they stood their ground, and this was when they said the elephant seemed to sense change was coming, and Raju began to cry. As painful as his shackles must have been, Raju managed to make his way to a truck where he was transported to an elephant protection sanctuary. At one minute past midnight on July 4th, Raju took his first step as a free elephant. Raju was fed bananas, mangoes, bread and water when he arrived, the first decent meal he probably had in years. His doctor said it took him 45 minutes to remove the chains from Raju's feet, but when the last rope was cut and Raju was finally free, there were tears in everyone's eyes. Raju's wounds have been treated and he will undergo lengthy rehabilitation. But when he's ready, he will first join two companion elephants called Rajesh and Bola, both also elephants who have endured abuse. Then Raju will be integrated with the rest of the sanctuary's elephants. And for certain, Raju's new caretakers will ensure he will live the rest of his life free from fear, pain and suffering. Told you it had a good ending. Elephants can live up to 70 years. Raju is now 50. So hopes are that he has another 10 years or so ahead of him. This is something amazing that happened this week in the world of how chimpanzees communicate. Um, scientists have realized that there's, there are 66 gestures at least which show how chimpanzees communicate. These scientists spent weeks in tents in Uganda in the bush monitoring chimps um, who've obviously become quite tame knowing that there are a lot of, anim- a lot of humans around. Um, and tourists, as, as is known in the Ugandan forests. Um, and they've managed to pick up a couple of hand signals um, and foot signals even, which chimps use to gesture to each other. Let's take a listen. We wanted to look at the gestural communication of wild chimpanzees, and we studied the Sonso community in the Bodongo rainforest in Uganda. Um, and I followed them every day, um, just observing them and the gestures that they used. And we wanted to take the next step in our research and try and understand not just what gestures are they using, but what do they mean? What are they using them for? So we found 19 different meanings. Chimpanzees can use several different gestures for one meaning. Um, And you can see from a couple of the videos. So in this case, Jenny and James are traveling off down the path. And James is the young male and he stops and his mother goes by him. 
um, and as she goes by he whimpers so she stops and she gives a little foot present to him looking round to check what his response is um, and that's an invitation climb on me so she's saying you know yeah okay you can have a lift climb on me and we'll travel off together so the most important thing for me is that we can finally say for the first time that another animal communication system has meaning well if you want to take a look at the list of all of these um gestures i'll put them up for you on twitter um just a note that if you tend to walk past trees and eat leaves which you might not do but some people do i know of them i promise that means that you're flirting with whoever's around you so beware um okay let's move on to doggy style um this part of our show which is all about doggies i I did have a a couple of weeks ago i mentioned um that i'd like to try and guess the breed of your brucks and uh, somebody did send in a photo which had me a little perplexed. That's Gerrit uh, de Jager. He said that these three brucks were from the same litter. They look nothing alike. Um, so I took a look and it looks like they were obviously having uh, had a breed influence of um, Jack Russell in them. Um, apparently I was half right. There was also Yorkie in them as well. So if you do want me to try and guess your breed, I'm no expert by any means. Um, you can email me, leanne at cliffcentral.com. Um, well, we'll be looking over the next few weeks at the most popular breeds of dogs in South Africa. And number 10, the 10th most popular, is the Rottweiler. So let's take a listen. I'm Julia Zabo, also known as Pet Reporter, and I am the Living with Dogs columnist for Dogster.com. I've actually written six books, and I'm hard at work on my next one. It will be about dogs. That's as much as I can say right now. (laughs) I love dogs, and I think nobody's life is complete without one. So I'm here to tell you about a variety of different dog breeds that might suit your lifestyle. I hope you'll adopt one soon. The Rottweiler is an amazing dog, and actually, if you want to be really technical, because it is a German breed, the W is pronounced as a V, like Victor, so it's Rottweiler. There is actually a statue in Rottweil, Germany, of a Rottweiler, a beautiful dog. Um, These dogs were originally used as working dogs, and they still are used as working dogs, but this is a great example of a dog whose job has evolved to meet you know, and match what humans need. In the old days, the Rottweiler was actually used as a drover. They actually drove cattle and other livestock to, um, for, for the people who were butchering them. They also accompanied butchers to market, and they, the money was often tied around their neck uh, because Who's going to mess with a Rottweiler? But in reality, they're actually very cuddly, wonderful dogs. The Rottweiler now works in search and rescue. They do therapy work. They're service dogs also because they're very strong. They pull things. Um, you know, they're, they're just amazing all-around strong working dogs, and they like to have a job. Similar to a pit bull, a Rottweiler really does need a strong hand, a strong but gentle hand uh, in training. That's very important for a dog like a Rottweiler so that he or she doesn't become aggressive. So I've gotten to know many of them. I love this breed. They make wonderful dogs and um, I think they're beautiful. Just the, the black glossy coat with the brown markings. They often have little eyebrows. And sometimes when you see mutts um, with eyebrows, it's pretty, pretty easy to figure out that there's some Rottweiler in the lineage. 
now it's time for what's new, Pussycat. Enough about dogs. We give the cats a chance. And here are five cats, or five, <laughs> say that again, five facts about cats that you probably didn't know. Some of them surprised me too. have fewer taste buds than humans and are in fact the only mammals that can't taste sweetness. Which means that kitties will never experience the joy of a nice heaping bowl full of Mr. T cereal. That's actually a real cereal from 1985. The act of playing with a cat with a laser pointer is patented. Seriously, two guys from Virginia patented this method of exercise in 1995. I have the patent right here. A method of inducing aerobic exercise in an unrestrained cat comprising the steps of A, directing an intense coherent beam of invisible light produced by a handheld laser apparatus to produce a bright, highly focused pattern of light at the intersection of the beam and an opaque surface, said pattern being of visual interest to a cat, and B, selectively redirecting said beam out of the cat's immediate reach to induce said cat to run and chase said beam and pattern of light around in an exercise area. Annie, what are you doing? I'm playing with little Bob. That's patented. We're going to get sued. I know, but I can't stop. A cat named Tama was appointed manager at a railroad station in Japan. She wears an awesome hat, gets paid in cat food, and during her tenure, ridership has increased 10%. In 2008, Tama was promoted to super station manager, which makes her the only female employee in a managerial position. Lean in, girl. No? Okay. Every cat nose print is unique. They're kind of like human fingerprints, which is super helpful if you're a detective trying to solve cat crimes. Oh my god, there are nose prints everywhere! What kind of killer would leave a body out in plain sight? I don't know, but it looks like this bird's worth three in the bush. In the 1960s, the CIA tried to spy on the Kremlin and Russian embassies by turning cats into listening devices. The program, called Acoustic Kitty, involved surgically implanting batteries, microphones, and antennae inside cats. It ultimately failed, but... Wait, do you hear something? Well, that's one thing about cats, but giant pandas are hugely celebrated in Taiwan. They even celebrate their birthdays at zoos, like this little one. Um, it was the first birthday of Yuan Zai, the giant panda, and Laurie Blake was there at Taipei Zoo. It was a birthday party with a difference in Taiwan, as Taipei Zoo celebrated the first birthday of Yuan Zai, the giant panda. Visitors gathered early in the morning to see the year-old female who had a traditional birthday celebration of drawing lots set up for her by zookeepers. In the activity, eight bamboo tubes with different names on them were hung up in Yunzai's enclosure so she could choose her favourite by pulling down the bamboo tubes. Each tube represented an endangered species at the zoo, and Yunzai was to be used as a spokesperson for whichever species she chose. She was also given a special birthday cake made from her favourite foods, including bamboo, apples, carrots and pineapples. While she didn't share any of her cake with the visitors or press gathered to celebrate her birthday, it was her party, so she can do what she wants. According to Taipei Zoo, the panda cub has attracted more than 1.6 million visitors to the zoo since she was born. Oh boy, another dog story made its way in. Those damn dogs. 
Uh, singer Dolly Parton sent out a message after she played at Glastonbury Festival and there was an abandoned dog that was found, a white lurcher, found abandoned in a tent and has been named Dolly in honor of Dolly Parton, who played at the festival last Sunday. Now, she's currently on tour in Germany, but she took time out to send a message about how honored she was to discover that this dog had been named after her, and uh, she even stopped to raise awareness about the lost dog. Well, hey, this is Dolly Parton, and I understand that there's a dog named Dolly, Doggy Parton. I think they found a dog at the Glastonbury Festival someone left behind, and they named her after me. Well, I was sad that someone left their little dog behind. How could that be? But I'm hoping that they do find the owners. Maybe they just lost her. But in the meantime, everybody's on top of it. They promised me that they're going to take good care of the little dog, and I feel very honored and flattered that for a time she's named Dolly. I'm sure she has the real name. But if they never find the owner, well, I'll be happy to say I have a doggy named after me. Something else special from Glastonbury. Okay, time for a quick song. Uh, when we come back on Heavy Petting on Cliff Central, uh, we'll take a look at a koala and how to test one for chlamydia, believe it or not. Um, and also a hero lumberjack who rescues a bear with his head stuck in a milk can.
Heavy petting on cliffcentral.com and uh, you're listening to Leanne Mole. This is a show that's on Wednesdays every week um, from 10 a.m. until 11. Everything to do with animals, anything you want to know, please call us on 0861 or you can tweet me at Leanne Mole. That's L-E-I-G-H-A-N-N-M-O-L. More animals in the news this week. Um, a game breeder has paid 7.8 million rand for an exotic saddleback blessbok. The Bilt reported this, and they, they say that the brown and white blessbok named Top Deck stole the limelight at the 13th Absa Kirkwood Wildlife Festival when the game vest owner, Philip Mostert, bought him. Top Deck actually has a brother, Numzane, and was reportedly sold for 4.2 million rand in May during an auction in Limpopo. Now, a blessbok usually costs between 1,500 and 2,000 rand. These guys were paying millions for these because of their unique prints on their back. Um, it looks like a saddle, and that's why they're called the Saddleback Back Blessbok. But they had a bad bleblo. Somebody else who had his little face in, in a mess was uh, a big brown non-fictional cousin of Winnie the Pooh who got himself into trouble. He had to be extricated with the help of heavy machinery. This happened in the U.S. It was a little brown bear who was in an empty field. He got his face, um, his entire head, stuck in a milk can. Um, and a logger, who just happened to have the right tools for the job, uh, drove past in his uh, tractor and used his tractor arm to hold onto the, the, the milk can until the bear wriggled himself free. I've actually just tweeted um, the link so you can have a look. It's, it's like a little homemade video, but it's very sweet. And he gets away in the end, which is great. I think it's time to take a look now at, uh, yes, John Bishop. Now, John Bishop um, is a comedian uh, in, the U- in the UK, and he's currently doing a, a, a series of TV shows on Australia. Um, and this is what happened when he went to go and watch a koala being tested for chl- chlamydia. So what we've got to do now, stick a swab right up inside his urethra, which means going into his penis. Every male of every species now feels sorry for him. But every female gets great delight in doing yeah. this. There we are. Here we have a male koala's penis. What do you do now? Doing a swab to test it? For chlamydia. And if he's got chlamydia, what would you give him? Antibiotics? Yeah. <laughs> See? Back to so, so, <laughs> we're not being too crude of it. That gets all tucked away. See, I'm glad you noticed. Marsupials are back to front from placental mammals, which you are. You you have yours round the other way. Koalas have their testicles on top and the penis underneath. And the penis is tucked away nicely for protection. Wouldn't you like that? Nice to tuck it away nicely for protection. <laughs> Some people would say that it looks like I have got it tucked away. <laughs> Gosh, um, I'm sure that must be a delight to watch. Um, Here's something interesting I found. This guy's name is Rudy Rock. Um, In fact, just this week on the Gareth Cliff Show, we played a clip of a guy who does a whole lot of celebrity impersonations in one song. Now, this is a guy who does 30 animal sounds in one go. Um, See how many you can identify. Wow. 
Some people have all the time in the world. That's Rudy Rock. I'll put it up if if you if you like. Um, it's I promise you, it's one man doing all of this in one go. It's not even edited. He just goes right ahead, and the names of the animals are put up as a as a super beneath. So yeah, let's go to a song, and when we come back, I'll tell you what to look forward to next week on Heavy Petting.
Heavy petting with myself, Leanne Mole, on cliffcentral.com. Now, it's not just humans who worry about keeping up with the latest trends. Chimpanzees are followers of fads as well. Experts studying chimps at a Zambian sanctuary were intrigued to find that after one female named Julie stuck a piece of grass in her ear, it's kind of a, it's, it's probably about the length of half a ruler of one piece of dried grass in her ear. She looks very silly, I must say. I don't think she realizes. She thinks she looks really cool. Um, but uh, she stuck a piece of grass in her ear and the other primates started following suit. Eight out of 12 chimps in the group took up the grass in ear trend. And it's even continued even after Julie died. Animal behavioral experts say that maybe chimpanzees having their own cultures, which are distinctive to individual troops, again, something that brings us closer to chimps as humans. So next week on Heavy Petting, Wednesday again from 10 to 11, um, we were speaking earlier about the Texas cheerleader who posted photos of the exotic animals she'd killed on Facebook. Now Those photos have actually been removed by Facebook. And uh, we'll chat to social media law expert uh, Emma Sadler on how social media affects these sort of trends. Um, and also, there was there was a cult recently which was exposed in South Africa, and that was of schoolgirls squashing animals. We'll take a look at that as well and how that affects um, the incidents on social media. And then also that neck nomination trend. There was a guy who swallowed a live goldfish that was also uproarious on Facebook and Twitter. So we'll speak to Emma Sadler about that next week. Um, in the meantime, before next week, please send me photographs of the odd things that your pets do. I took a photo just this morning of my cat, Sheba, who is obsessed with plastic. She licks plastic bags. She licks anything that's plastic. Um, I'm sure it's not good for her, but I'll post the pic and I want to see yours too, please. Um, you can email them to me if you like. Leanne Mole. At, or sorry, just Leanne at cliffcentral.com. Up next, rookies and rock stars with Luby.